Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Here are your hosts, Dave Adamson and Ashley Bohens. G'day everyone, welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. My name is Dave and it is two weeks from Christmas and all I wanted for Christmas is my co-host Ashley. Ashley, you're back! I'm back! Woohoo! How are you? I am doing well, thank you, but hold on, sorry Dave, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. what was the first word you said? G'day? Yes. It's like, that good is, day? Yes, that's that's my word. Good day. G'day. You good try day. You say You try the good whole... day, mate! <laughs> <laughs> I've only been doing this for like two years. You have not said. Every single time I start this podcast, I start it with, g'day, everyone. No, you Every... don't. Uh, 100%. You go back and listen. I, no, this... you say, what's up, everyone? No, I don't. Yes, you do. I say, g'day, everyone. No, you... G'day, you sound no, you do not say, you, I would have even, noticed that. Do you even listen to this podcast? Yes, do you? See? This is what we miss. <laughs> <laughs> this is what has been missing the last couple of weeks when you haven't been here. Ash, you've been away for a couple of weeks. I've been sitting in the Think Orange bunker on my own. Yes. Um, two weeks before Christmas. There's a lot of people moving around now. And so you might hear some background noise. I just want to call that out. But Ash, where were you for all of November? While you were sitting here in the bunker, yeah. I was having I sinus feel, surgery. I feel very attacked. Yeah. <laughs> I actually felt that way <laughs> when I had sinus surgery. So you had sinus surgery. I oh did. my gosh, that's it not was a very... Like, you know, it, I was like avoiding this all year long because yeah. everybody tells horror stories about it. Mm. I'm not going to give any more details because everybody who's listening is cringing right now. Who knows anything about it? So are you feeling better now? Yeah, I, I'm on the mend, Dave. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. It's good to have you back. Thank you. Are you glad to be back here? I am. You know, it, it's. I feel a little bit out of the loop because it oh. feels like a long time since we've sat across the table from each other. Has anything changed? You've changed, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was no shave mo- November, so I grew a beard. Yeah. You know what? Also, I feel like your your accent got thicker or something. It's like you turned the volume up. Seriously? Yeah. I cranked up my accent? Yeah. Usually that... Did you go back to Australia or no, something? No, you know recently? what it is? My nephew has been visiting us from Australia. See? And we've go. been hanging out with him. So it's probably... I knew is it. Is it really? Yes. Are you being serious? I'm dead That's serious. That's amazing. Sometimes wow. I can't tell... Like sometimes I don't notice the accent because I'm used to your voice. But then when you like say certain words, I'm like... What, has it always been that Like intense? when I say the same thing that I've been saying for every episode of this podcast and you finally notice it. Wow. N- no, actually, oh. you haven't started every single episode. Yeah. Look, we're just going to move on and let that lie. Hey, it's nearly Christmas. What is your favorite Christmas carol, Ash? Oh, Christmas carol. Yeah. All right. I'm going to choose not to answer your question and Why? answer a different question. Why? My favorite Christmas <laughs> albums. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Why don't I just do that again? Ash, what's your... F- I've always wanted to know, Ash, what is your favorite Christmas album? Thank you. <laughs> what is it? Do you what is feel it? better now I that do. I'm going to I feel a lot better now that you're going to answer my question. Go. I, there, you know, I used to say there was one and okay. it was Sync Christmas. <laughs> of course. But now there's a job? second one. Oh, that is equal to Tell it. me it's Instinct 2. Instinct Christmas and Justin Bieber Christmas. No, that Justin Bieber's album is... Uh, His Christmas album is so good. Really? It is so good. Under the Mistletoe? Yes. Oh, Lord. What's your favorite track off that album? Drummer Boy. Uh, how does that one go? Oh, no. I like literally can't <laughs> sing his version. 
Wait, who, he, it's, with, it's with a rapper. What's his name? I don't know. Hold on. She's vigorously typing right now to find out who the rapper is. I've been is. listening. Okay, listen. Because I had sinus surgery, I've been listening to Christmas music, and my Christmas tree has been have. up since, uh, well, when was it? The end of October? I don't know. End of October. <laughs> Seriously. That's, That's awesome. commitment. That is commitment. So are you still looking up Buster the- Rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Drummer boy with Buster Rhymes. That's your favorite Christmas song off the favorite Christmas album. I just really like the energy in it. Well, how does it go? Can you do any of it? No, I can't. Ash, you know what all our listeners want for Christmas is? Is Ashley to sing a song. This is the... Listen, Dave, you, don't tell me what to do. Uh, wow, you're so feisty. Gosh. I am. When the sinus surgery, apparently they installed some <laughs> attitude. Uh, um, hey, we have got a fantastic episode of the podcast coming up. I'm going to get Ashley to sing before the end of this one. So make sure you stick around for that. Now, today is episode 77 and we have an incredible interview with the one and only Carrie Newhoff. Man, I love Carrie because he's one of the people that I feel like has been super influential on me as a young leader. Mm. Just a lot of what he talks about and writes about, I feel like challenges me yeah. and, and helps me become a better leader. So I'm super excited yeah. that he's on the episode today. Well, I had the opportunity to interview him and Ash, it was one of those interviews where I literally stopped and said, hey, everybody go back and listen to the last 30 seconds because he drops, you know what he's like, right? He just drops so much wisdom and he speaks in sound bites that are so memorable. Uh, he should be on this podcast like as a host. He should be. He'd be um, absolutely amazing. If you don't know who Kerry is, he is the founding pastor of Connexus Church in Barry, Ontario. Is that a real place? Barry, Ontario. Barry. <laughs> it sounds like my cousin or something. Cousin Barry. That's is that who's been visiting? <laughs> no. It was my nephew, Dylan. Oh. Kerry is also the author of several best-selling books, including his latest, Didn't See It Coming. And that's really what we talked about today. He opened up a little bit about his book. And the thing you're going to love most about this, Ash, is he dives into some issues that are affecting a lot of people in ministry today, especially a lot of young leaders and a lot of lead pastors. And that's the, you know, that's burnout and, and cynicism in the church. You know, I actually don't know if I've met a single pastor or you know, ministry worker who yeah. has not walked through a season of burnout of some kind. Yeah. Like we travel all over the country and talk to ministry leaders, church leaders. Um, and I feel like it's part of every single person's story. Completely um, what I love about the fact that Carrie addresses it in this book, along with other things that come up all the time, like cynicism, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride, emptiness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all the things that come up in almost every ministry conversation. Yeah. I think it's awesome that he addresses it head on. Yeah. Like, hey, let's talk about the things that are hard to talk about mm. because we're all experiencing them. Yes, and that is exactly the sort of stuff that he dives into mm -hmm. in this interview, which makes it so amazing and so personal and so authentic. You know, and, and Ash, just to your point, as somebody who came from the secular world into ministry, the last thing I expected was to be burned out in ministry. I just assumed that when you work for church, everything is peaceful and you pray and, and everybody's super supportive. But no, the reality is burnout is a real thing for many people and many people who are listening to this episode today. I felt exactly the same, Dave. And yeah. it's really confusing because when you volunteer for a ministry, yeah. it does the complete opposite of burning you out. Mm. It gives you life. Yeah. And it's like it 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 gives it's like oxygen to you. Totally. And then all of a sudden it changes when you're walking you're actually walking in it on a daily basis yeah. and you're living it. 
And all of a sudden it feels like it's no longer giving you oxygen, but suffocating you. Yeah, totally. So if you're listening to this episode and you're feeling some of the things that Ash and I have just mentioned, you are absolutely going to love this episode as Kerry dives into some of that stuff. Hey, but before we get into that, I want to let you know that today's episode is proudly brought to you by Orange Conference 2019. Can, can you believe it, Ash? 2019 already. And I know you're specifically excited about next year's topic. I am. Orange Conference 2019 is something I'm really looking forward to because what the theme is for Orange Conference 2019 is make it personal. Make it personal. Which means we're going to hear from ministry leaders that we've been listening to for a while about why what they do is personal to them. So I'm anticipating a very inspirational year. Yeah, that's fantastic. And if you don't know what Orange Conference is, it is a three-day conference in Atlanta, Georgia for your entire family ministry team. And as Ash said, next year's theme is making it personal. Because Ash, did you know there's a reason why some ministries make a greater impact? Okay. Some churches have wider influence. Keep going. Some leaders leave a lasting mark. Yeah, they do. Do you know why that is? Why? Because they make it personal. And you can be reminded of why it's personal to you at Orange Conference 2019. And all you need to do is register at theorangeconference.com. That is theorangeconference.com. Come. Hey, before we jump in to this interview, which I'm super sad that I missed the interview because I love talking to Carrie mm-hmm. Newhoff on podcasts, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you did a great job by yourself, Dave. I tried. Um, I'm excited to hear it, but just a disclaimer for, for anyone who's listening who may have struggled with um, harming themselves in any point of their story, um, we just want to to give you a heads up that kind of towards the back end of this interview mm. um, Carrie does address some of that. Mm. And so if that's a trigger for you, we just wanted to give you a heads up or if maybe you're riding in the car right now with young kids, Mm. um, maybe you can just decide if you want to continue listening to that with them in the car. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for saying that. All right, let's jump in. Well, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you back. It's good to be back, man. How many times have you been on the Think Orange podcast now? This is like four times from my, from my memory. I think so. Yeah, it's been a few times. So I just, you know, I camp outside every once in a while. <laughs> and they're like, come on in. I'm like, I knew it would happen. Yeah, you're a patient man. Carrie, it's always fantastic to have you on. You always drop us some absolute nuggets of wisdom and insight. And so I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of today. Uh, First of all, let me just congratulate you on your new book. Didn't see it coming. I mean, it's doing so well, right? Thank you. Yeah, it's been, we're what, six, seven weeks into it uh, since release when we're recording this. So we're super encouraged about the results. And in particular, the stories we're hearing. Mark Batterson says, our mutual friend Mark Batterson says, uh, that every book sold is a prayer answered. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's a nice thing pastors say. But as this book (laughs) is released, I'm like, yeah, you know what? And so people getting their hope back, people saying, you know what? I'm not going to be cynical anymore. People wrestling down their pride, uh, realizing there's hope if you're burned out. It's been really encouraging. Yeah, that's that's so awesome to hear. I'm so glad that it's doing well from that point of view as well. I, I know following you on social media, one of the things I've loved is you are so relationally driven that even when you're talking about the book, like you you have insights like that, that it's not necessarily about selling a book. It's about helping people uh, improve the quality of their life. Well, I hope ultimately that is what drives me. You know, we're all mixed bags, Dave, you know that. And yeah. 
we live in a pretty narcissistic age, but mm -hmm. I hope at the end of the day, when Jesus has a look inside my heart, he goes, yeah, there was some good there. I saw it. <laughs> You know, that's my hope. <laughs> well, there is. I have certainly seen it. Hey, one thing I didn't see coming, I think a lot of people reading, picking up your book didn't see coming was the way that you directly address topics like cynicism and pride and burnout and, and emptiness. Is this something that you're seeing in the church at the moment? Yeah, it is. Uh, they're, they're all things to one extent or another I saw inside myself in yep. the last two plus decades in leadership in the church world, I'm like, wow, <clears throat> church made me cynical. How did that happen? Mm, mm. Or really, you know what? I, I don't want to blame church. It's like I made me cynical, but it happened in the context of ministry. Mm. And, you know, there was a longer list. I can't remember what else was on the list right now. But as I really started to test the waters a little bit through blog posts, conversations, uh, talking to listeners in my podcast, I began to realize, I think these are the big seven. Like I wanted mm. to write about something that had universal applicability um, yeah. and or near universal. So these are the seven that, that seem to be resonating the most. That's awesome. I, I want to come back to the seven uh, in just a moment, but you know, in, in your, as a, somebody who's an avid reader of your blog posts as well, first of all, thank you so much for sending, you send out such amazing content that is so practical in the moment. I find myself clicking on the email to click to through the link because you're literally writing about something I'm dealing with in ministry that day. So first of all, what, when did you start reading my email and decide to start addressing my issues in your blog? I've heard that so often, Dave. And you know, you know what the secret is, is I just, I just share what's in my head. Mm. And it's one of the, you know, that old saying that, hey, ask the question, because if you, if you have the question, 10 other people have the question. Yeah. I think there's an awful lot of truth to that. And I think mm. we are moving into an age of increasing vulnerability uh, at the time of recording this, just yesterday, yesterday afternoon, I sat down for my third or fourth interview with Craig Grishel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Craig is just, I, I asked him at the end, I'm like, dude, are you getting more and more transparent? He's like, mm -hmm. I am. And you reach that certain stage, I think we were talking about it, where you just don't have as much to lose. You're like, I got to get this out there. I got to help people. And I think our culture is ripe for that. We are spun so many different ways from Sunday. Pardon the pun. But, you know, there's spin everywhere. There's spin everywhere. And what can you trust? Who can you trust? And so I think when you, when I or any other content creator, whether that's a blog, a podcast, a book, uh, a sermon on Sunday, mm. when you can just share out of your own experience, honestly and transparently, I think people go, oh my gosh, you get it. It's like, well, of mm. course I get it. I'm human and I have all the same struggles that, that most people do. And so I'm really excited about that kind of dialogue, Dave. Mm. Yeah, I, I would I would 100% agree in a social media world, especially, you know, vulnerability, transparency, genuineness. They're such a such a valuable commodity now, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think there's a line you have to be careful. Uh, I think it's really good to be vulnerable. I don't think it's good to vomit on people. Uh, <laughs> and you see that sometimes too. It's like, yeah. my marriage is falling apart. Help. It's like, well, what, yeah. what kind of a social media post is that, friend? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of phone call you make at 2 a.m. to your best friend or <laughs> to someone you know really well. It's not something you share on a Sunday morning. You know, I'm in a fortunate place where my marriage is in good shape right now. But I'm just giving that as an example mm. of, you know, or if you have a massive porn addiction that's just ruining your life, 
Mm. Uh, you, you should definitely tell somebody, but I don't know whether you need to tell everybody that. So I, I use the filter of helpful. Like, yeah. for example, my burnout happened 12 years ago. If you say, hey, Carrie, can you like write a blog post on your burnout? I'd be like, oh, I hate life. You know, how's that helpful? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now t- with 12 years of distance and some time to reflect and pray and learn and grow and lots of counseling and scripture reading yeah. you know, and, and in a place where really I feel as alive as I ever have, maybe more alive than I ever have, I can look back on that time mm. and I can speak into a dark season with some empathy in a way that honestly I couldn't have done when I was in my 30s before I burned out because burnout was for wimps and weaklings and that wasn't mm. me. So, so I think, I think you have to be in a place where what you're going to share is helpful. Otherwise you should be sharing that with your small group or your best friend or a counselor or a doctor or your spouse or your board chair or somebody. Mm. Uh, But you probably, it's probably not ready for the world yet. Yeah. Kerry, there's so much uh, insight into what you just said. I want to unpack that a little bit. Um, sure. I 100% agree with you. W- w- if we can get some distance from an issue, that 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 time, that extra time creates uh, space for insight, right? Now, yeah. I know that you are in your 40s and you've had some of that insight. I don't know how old you are. I'm just guessing. That's oh, very generous. I'll take that. <laughs> It's not true, but I will, I will accept that, that compliment. Thank you. But but at your level, at your as as you've grown older and you've had the opportunity to look back and draw some of that wisdom, some of that insight that you just unpacked, how are you feeling that like church leaders who are in their 20s and 30s, how are they dealing with that sort of thing? I think there can be two extremes and the truth is in the middle. One is you share nothing. I'm awesome. Look at me. God and I are great. My wife and I never fight. My kids never even poop in their diapers, right? Like I have that perfect family kind of thing, which which is not true. And I don't think it's helpful. Uh, I think people admire your strengths and we all want to be strong, but they resonate with your weaknesses, you know, mm. I, I love like when I remember DVDs back in the day Yeah, and I'm sure you can still get these. I just don't know where to find them anymore, but they would always have at the end, they'd have a like behind the scenes or the making of whatever mm. movie you're looking at. I always found those way more interesting than Same. the actual movie itself. It's like, well, I want to know how they do that special effect or what did the actor really think or how hard mm. was that role or what was the director's vision? That would, that would always interest me. So I think, I think the story these days, Dave, is to go behind the scenes. And that's why I love that interview I did with Craig Rochelle is, you know, if you were sitting down with Craig over lunch and said, so dude, what's it really like? He would just Mm. tell you. And Mm. then you're like, oh, that's the story behind the story. So I think we live in that age. And if you're just bulletproof, Teflon, invincible, (laughs) I'm awesome, you're not, I don't think that resonates. On the Mm. other hand, the other extreme is I take my broken little self, shovel myself into the pulpit every day and throw up on people. That is not helpful. So mm. you have to be, you are a leader. And so what you have to be able to do is you have to come alongside people in a way that assists them in a way. And I, I remember a moment in particular where I was not at my best and I could not talk about burnout. It was the summer of 2006. I went to see my therapist, my counselor. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that was probably bottom. Like everything was dark. I got up every day, but I'm like, man, this is over. I'm over. Ministry's over. Even though I hadn't quit my job, nobody fired me. You know, it's like, it's over. Mm. And I remember him saying, Carrie, you will recover. You will get out of this. And I didn't actually know how that would be true. Mm. But he said, I want you to remember this moment. 
Yeah. Because there are so many people who never get out of it. Mm. And, and that created in me in that moment, I remember like it was yesterday, I know exactly where I was sitting, what I was doing. I thought, freeze this, Carrie, just freeze this. And now if you came to me and you said, you know what, Carrie, I've been doing, you know, the devotionals now for years, the books out, I'm doing these podcasts, I'm working at North Point, like I'm just exhausted, I'm burnt out. I've, I've got instant empathy for you mm-hmm. and an empathy I don't think I was capable of developing prior to burning out. So I think, I think I don't want to call it the sweet spot because that's, you know, that sounds way too glib. But the, the place you want to be in as a leader is you want to have empathy. Mm-hmm. So if you went through a really tough breakup with somebody, you can empathize with someone who's going through a breakup. I'll give you a good example. I'm writing the next series for Connexus. And I got a week on. Tony and I are going to talk about our marriage. We've been married for 28 years. I'm doing a one on parenting, which I feel slightly unqualified for because my kids are adults now. It's like I haven't changed the diaper in years. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing one on social media, which I'm calling social misery. Feel very qualified to do that. But then they want me to teach on dating and being single. And I'm like, guys, it's a quarter century. Okay. Like that's a long time ago. I, I barely dated. I don't really remember. The world has changed an awful lot. That's really hard for me to speak into that space because it's been so long. I think we're going to convene a panel and I'll just, you know, do a long expository <laughs> sermon and just shout from Second Corinthians or something. Or, <laughs> um, you know, like uh, that. that's hard to do because I can't empathize. So I think yeah. you use your weaknesses and those moments where maybe you've got some victory over that, but you don't use that victory to hold it over someone's head. You use it to come alongside them and say, you know what? I think I can help. Yeah, that's really good. That is so wise. I love all of that. Hey, while we're still on this topic, uh, you know, one of the things you talk about in your book is observing how many leaders there are in their 20s and 30s. And maybe there's some who are listening to this podcast right now who are battling burnout and cynicism from from your observation, from your research, from the people that you've talked to, is there something happening happening in our culture, specifically the church culture, that's having this effect? Yeah, you know what? I'm a big fan of social media. I'm all over it. But I think technology is not helping us. Mm. I think it is. It's inevitable. You know, we're not going back to Little House on the Prairie anytime soon. So yeah. I think technology is here to stay. But uh, there was a day, Dave, and you're probably just old enough to remember it, where work stayed at work. Mm. You remember that? Where you had a computer or a typewriter or whatever or an office and you literally couldn't bring work home. Mm. And now work is in your pocket. It's with you on your nightstand when you get up in the morning. I mean, if you've got a smartwatch, it's buzzing. could be buzzing at 2 a.m. And so you, you... I think that makes it really difficult. So I think that is responsible for at least, or, or a contributing factor. You know who's responsible for burnout, for my burnout? Me. Yeah. That's who's responsible for my burnout. Who's responsible for my cynicism? Me. But yeah. cynicism roots itself in knowledge. So um, the, the problem with cynicism is not that you don't know, it's that you know. You know what human nature is going to be like. You know that things go bad. And you think about the amount of information we consume uh, on our, on our phones alone in a day. And it's overwhelming. What are we, Mm. you know, all these problems are, are, are bombarding us and we have no ability to, to solve them. 
like, I don't, I don't know how to solve all the problems. Like if you go back even 200 years, you know, you're in a village, you maybe travel 25 miles outside that village in your life. There's 40 people, you know, by name, the blacksmith's been the blacksmith for two decades. Like we are programmed, hardwired to know a small bit of information in a small tribe of people. And all of a sudden there's billions at our fingertips. So I think that that easily slides into cynicism unless unarrested. And it also deals with burnout because I find a lot of leaders, they're never really off and they're never really on. They're in that gray zone because you're sort of working over breakfast and then you're tired and then you don't work when you're in the office and then you go home and like supposed to be reading stories to your kids, but you've got five more emails to answer and that sermon to write. So you're just in this constant gray zone that just honestly is terrible. Oh my gosh, Kerry. I just want everybody to who's listening to this uh, podcast to pause right now, go back about four minutes and just listen to what Kerry said. That was so insightful and so spot on in, in, in underlining the foundation of, of a lot of burnout, a lot of cynicism, especially in ministry. The, the next obvious question to that for you, Kerry, is what's the solution to that? How do you create guardrails around technology? Because I know you agree with me on this. Technology is in a revolution. We know that this right. is the way the world is going. And we as church people, we don't want to, we don't want to stand in front, we don't want to stand on the beach while a six-foot wave comes and crashes down onto us. We want to get a surfboard and we want to ride that technology wave. But we need to have guardrails in place. So Kerry, what are those guardrails? Well, there is no solution, Dave. That's how the book ends. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> That's not Jesus true. comes back and we all win. Jesus comes back and rescues us all. That is yeah. the ultimate solution. Probably. That really is. And, and I can't wait for that day. Uh, no, but there are definitely some things you should, you should do. And as somebody who um, is an optimist by nature, but became very cynical by my late 30s, and is now again an optimist. Yeah, there's hope. And the same with burnout, you know, once burnt out, not always burnt out. So mm. I'll walk you through it quickly. We go into a lot of detail and didn't see it coming. But what dies with the cynic is hope. And because you've been hurt, right? If, if knowledge is the source of cynicism, you're like, oh my gosh, all the news is bad news. And these people left our church and you know, I hired staff and I thought they were going to be the best staff and now those staff are gone. And now somebody new walks through your church and what do you immediately think? You think, you remind me of that person who just left. I know how this ends. <clears throat> I know how this ends. And you begin to project past failures onto future situations. And that's a mistake. Mm. So what do you do? The antidote to cynicism ultimately is hope. It's the gospel. It says, okay, so God, you sent me a new person. You sent me a new friend. I got a new staff member. I got whatever, you know. How do I avoid projecting past failures onto this new situation? What you're doing as a cynic is you're guarding your heart. You're like, you, heart, you are not coming out of your concrete tomb. There's no way you are. Uh, you're going to stay in there where it's safe. And you've got to kind of pull your heart out of the concrete shell and say, okay, I'm going to hope again. I'm going to trust again. I'm going to believe again. And I remember doing that. That was about 12 years ago. And it was hard because I thought, oh my goodness, if I allow my heart to go out there, that means you could break it. That means you could betray me. That means you could throw me under the bus. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned over the last decade is you can trust people, but only entrust yourself to Christ, but you can trust people. And nine out of 10 people are just like you you know what? They're looking for a friend. 
They're trying to make their way in the world. And if you keep your heart encased in concrete like that, you will miss out on 90% of the joy in this life. Yeah, you'll prevent a little bit of sadness, but you will completely block yourself out of joy. And what do you do with the 10%? I always think, thank goodness for Henry Cloud and John Townsend. You know, I'll read some books and learn how to put up some boundaries for that, that small minority of people. And, and so that's really uh, the ultimate antidote to cynicism. And then for burnout, what I had to do, Dave, was I had to get to a place where I realized, okay, normal got me to burnt out. And we had a rapidly growing church, da-da-da-da-da, lots of people. My bad math was more people equals more hours. And when, you know, when you're burnt out, and some of your listeners right now are burned out, and even if they're not lying in the ditch or in bed, there's a thing that I call, and I talk about it in the book, called low-grade burnout where you're still functioning, like the functions of life continue, but the joy of life is gone. Your heart just kind of feels dead, but you're, you're functioning. You're, you're almost like a zombie walking through life and leadership. So if that's you, normal got you there. And when you're feeling that way, and when I was in that desperate place in the summer of 06, I was like, how do I get back to normal? I just want to get back to normal. And then I had the sense to realize, wait a minute, Newhoff, normal got you burned out. Do not go back to normal. You got to find a new normal. And that took me a few years. And the summary for that, the antidote for that, and I, I live by it every day. In fact, right before we jumped on this podcast, our group ran late last night. I didn't get to bed till 11. I'm a little sluggish today. And then I had a phone call in the middle of the morning, you know, that put me an hour or two behind. But, but my bottom line is this. I've got to learn how to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. I think way too many people live in a way today that barely helps them survive tomorrow. It's like, listen, if your game plan is how do I survive, that is a bad game plan. So what you have to decide, what I had to decide to do physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, financially, and relationally, those are my five big buckets. Mm -hmm. I've got to figure out today how do I live in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow? And I've been doing that for over a decade now. And you know what? Most days are pretty good days. Mm. What happens on those other days, Kerry? Yeah, that, that <laughs> is challenging. And what I find is it's a little bit like um, your phone. All right. So, you know, most people don't have a charge that lasts all day unless it's a brand new phone. And so you get to three o'clock, your phone needs to be plugged in. Your phone should recharge to 80% pretty quickly. If it doesn't, you know you have a problem. So what I do when I'm getting tired, and I mean, I literally structure, just talk to any of my staff. They know how to, how to fly me in and out of cities, what hotels I need to stay in. I don't do red eyes anymore unless there's a really good reason to. Uh, I limit my speaking engagements. I have a very set routine. But when I get out of routine and it does happen or you're launching a book or something like that, um, I look for the end of the season. Okay, when is the season going to end? And if the season has no end, surprise, surprise, it's not a season, it's your life. So then there's a problem, all right? And so if there's no end of the season, when that season ends, whether that's a couple of days where I'm really sprinting or a week or maybe worst case scenario, a month, I get to the end of it, I, I refuel very quickly. And if I don't, I know I'm in trouble. So even in those really intense series, the one uh, seasons rather, the one thing I, I rarely ever cheat is sleep. 
mm-hmm. because uh, I did that for years and it was a disaster. And there's, there's a growing body of research. Uh, people are doing all kinds of brain research these days that show you that your sleep so much depends on it. Rest and exercise, rest, diet, exercise. So try not to cheat those areas. Uh, that is a really good hack to get you through a busy season is like, just go to bed at nine o'clock, sleep till six, you'll feel better. And I really do. Now, if I was burning out, and I think only twice in the last decade have I thought, uh-oh, am I burning out? But again, I took a couple days off or you know, put my feet up for a little bit and I'm like, oh, the phone's recharged. So that, it's been a pretty good plan. But you really have to recalibrate your defaults. If you don't do that, if you're just like, well, I slept and now I'm going 800 miles an hour with my hair on fire, uh, you'll be burned out again soon. Carrie, again, uh, you, you are so insightful, so wise and so practical. That's one of the things I love when I talk to you is I walk away with a ton of notes that are all practical that I can, uh, you know, start applying the minute I walk in the door at home. So again, thank you for that. Now, I, I wanted to talk, just uh, run down through the book a little bit. Now, you talk specifically about, you know, seven specific challenges that no one ever expects coming, but everyone experiences. Can you run through, I don't want to, I don't want you to give the book away, but could you at least give us the title of each of those challenges? No, I'll give it away. No problem. We already talked about two of the big ones, cynicism and burnout. So yeah. there's seven issues I tackle. The others are compromise, moral compromise, disconnection, which is really that profound sense of loneliness or isolation that so many people are struggling with these mm-hmm. days. I, I deal with irrelevance, um, pride, and pride really not just fueled by narcissism, which is an issue, but, but insecurity. I think most, in, most pride in ministry leaders comes from a place of insecurity, not a place of narcissism. And then uh, I wrap up the book with emptiness. That what do you do when all your dreams come true? So, you know, you're, you're living for that day when everything's great, you know, you're launching more campuses and you can count or, you know, everything's up and to the right and your dreams have come true, whatever your dreams happen to be. And then you get to the other side and it's like, oh, I thought I'd feel more happy than I do. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's where the book ends. Would you mind uh, like maybe picking maybe one or two of those and just digging a little bit deeper into one or two of those challenges? Yeah, I really uh, love the the section on compromise because it's a challenge to me. So what I'm talking about there is moral compromise. Yeah. I think the the tension a lot of us face is we th- we think of moral compromise in terms of really big categories. So mm-hmm. we look at okay, is my marriage intact? Have I had an affair? Nope. Mm-hmm. So I must be okay. Yeah. Uh, am I stealing money or involved in criminal activity? Nope. So yeah, I'm not morally compromised. And, you know, that would be the case in my life for those big items. It's like, yeah, I think I'm okay. But <laughs> the challenge is compromise is way more subtle than that. And mm-hmm. so it, it sneaks in in so many different ways. And a thousand little compromises leave you compromised. So uh, here's something really simple and practical to look at. Is there a disconnect between your walk and your talk as a leader? Mm. Are, are you saying it's better than it really is? Are you saying your relationship with God is deeper than it really is? Are you pretending that things are better at home than they really are? And again, back to where we started, this doesn't mean you have to 
like, you know, true confessions every Sunday morning, guys, we had such a big fight on Thursday and, you know, we haven't talked in three days, you know, whoa, go, go, go see your counselor. But if you're talking to your best friends and they're like, how are things going, man? You're like, oh, things are awesome, dude. They're great. How about with you? And you're not telling anybody that's an issue. And I, I tell a story in the book that was really convicting for me because uh, our marriage is in fundamentally a good place these days, but we have issues like everybody else. And driving with Tony a couple of years ago to Austin, Texas, and we're going to my buddy, his church on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, she's navigating Google Maps on her phone. And I am being an impatient husband. I don't know whether any other husband can relate to the Google Maps challenges. I doubt it. But, you know, for whatever reason, she wasn't quite navigating fast enough or accurately enough for my pleasure that day. So I kind of got frustrated with her. And then I'm like, well, am I going left or right? Like, can you just, can you, can you even read that thing? And then I grabbed it out of her hand and she just broke down and started sobbing. And it was like, okay, pull over to the side of the road. Let's make this better. You know, classic husband band-aid. And I'm realizing, uh-oh, these aren't like, you just insulted me once tears. These are like, I'm sick of my husband tears. Mm. And I realized we're not going to make it to church. And so I'd, I'd failed husbanding horribly that day and other times before that. But then here's the dilemma. Here's, here's the challenge. What do you say to your friend? Because I got to text him going, hey, Buck, we're not going to make it today. So do I tell him, hey, man, something came up. I'm not going to make it today. Because that's one way to get out of being a jerk um, to your wife. Or do I say, and, and I've done this before. I'm not even proud to say it. Hey, Buck, Tony's not feeling well. We won't be there today. That's like such a schmuck move. Or what do you say? So you know what I made myself say? I said, hey, Buck, um, I've been a really bad husband today. I won't be at services. See you tomorrow. And then I saw him the next day and I told him the story. So what does that do? That wasn't inappropriate. I didn't like, I can't believe it. My marriage isn't, you know, the toilet this morning. Tony and I worked that through. But you know what that is for me? That's accountability. Mm. That's integrity. That's yeah. like, that's not, that's not throwing my wife under the bus for something that I did. That's not blaming her. And that's saying, that's being really honest without being inappropriate. Mm. And I, I just find if there is a gap between what I say publicly and how I'm living privately, that is the gateway to compromise. And wow. it, ultimately, it's a character issue. Ultimately, that is your character. And if I have enough of those incidents, by the time I die, when, because Tony will outlive me, she's way healthier than I am. When she stands at my, my casket or my urn or whatever, and my kids are gathered around, those are the things they remember. Yeah. So yeah. to me, that's compromise. Outstanding. Uh, what about one more? We've got time for one more. What's another ch of those challenges that you talk about in the book that you can dig just a little bit deeper into? I would say emptiness. That one really, we, we're getting a bit of feedback on that. Cynicism is a big one that we're hearing from leader after leader after leader. But I really like emptiness because, you know, most, most of us at one point or another in our life are going to meet with success. And maybe if things go really well, it'll be a little more success than we thought. And by the grace of God, I've had those moments in my life. And 
uh, I had I had an incident to talk about in the book where uh, three years ago I wrote a blog post that truly went viral. I thought I had viral stuff before that, but it was one of those days where I kept refreshing my phone because I literally couldn't believe it. And by the end of the day, four hundred and thirty six thousand people had read my blog post that day, and wow. by the end of the week, it was over a million. And I thought, oh, that's what they mean when they say viral. Mm. So, so it was totally a freak out. And, you know, as you know, when things are going well, you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is amazing. All the endorphins are kicking in, the adrenaline is rushing, and you're on top of the world. But once again, and I've had this happen numerous times in my life, I was surprised at how quickly the, the good emotions left and I was left feeling empty. I was grateful, but I didn't feel full. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yes, I'm grateful. Of course, my theology is sound. I'm very grateful to God, but how come I don't feel full? Like I got a good family. I got a good wife. I got good kids. We got a good church. Like things are going well. I got maybe a little money in the bank or, you know, at mm-hmm. least we don't have ridiculous debt or whatever. So I know I should be grateful, but what is this emptiness? And yeah. I found that a lot of successful people struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And so the question I was wrestling with is like, what is that? And I got, you know, for me that week, it went into a bad place quick where I'm like, okay, well, next week, I'm sure a million people aren't going to show up. Will I be happy writing for 10,000 people a day, 15,000 mm-hmm. people a day? Like how do, and then what does that say about me? Like, that's just so ugly. And I find myself reflecting a lot the older I get on Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is less prescriptive than it is descriptive. But Solomon's like the richest guy in the world and arguably uh, certainly the most successful in his lifetime and one of the most successful of all time. Uh, he was so rich, like, like this, this is actually in the scriptures, it's crazy. He was so rich, he devalued silver in his day. Like silver was just like a rock. It's like, okay, yeah. whatever. You imagine having so much money, like, like even Jeff Bezos doesn't have that much money that he's devaluing the US dollar because of his yeah. private stash. Like, like, but Solomon did that and, and that's actually recorded for us. So the guy's loaded. He's got anything he wants and he talks about it. He says, I can snap my fingers, make anything happen. People from around the world, world leaders would come and, and meet him. And they would leave and say, wow, this was better than the reports. Like, how often does that happen? It's mm-hmm. crazy. So he, he reflects on this a lot. And he's got these passages in Ecclesiastes where he says, I built myself great homes. I built myself vineyards. Like, I don't even collect wine. I, I build vineyards. I built myself palaces, cities, and it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. It's just meaningless. And then he says, so I'm going to pursue pleasure. And he says, so I spent, you know, this is actually in the Bible. I spent some time getting hammered, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I just, I live for the weekend. And, and he said in that way, and this is so haunting for those of us who preach. He said in that way, I experienced the only pleasure many people get in this short life. Mm-hmm. He's basically, what an indictment of our culture. He's saying, you know, you know how happy some people get it's getting drunk or high on the weekend. Like that's as good as it gets. And he's at this place where he's like, is this as good as it gets? Asking that Jack Nicholson question from years ago. It's like, that's a great question. And I think a lot of people are there. And then he, you know, what are you going to do? Just launch more campuses. That's going to make you feel better. 
Uh, you're already on the Outreach 100 list, getting up two spots. That's going to make you feel better. How many more million downloads do you need, Newhoff, to feel fulfilled? Mm. Oh, those are terrible questions, right? Yeah. But what I've realized, and this took a long time for me to figure out, I'm like, what is that? And I prayed about it, read the scriptures about it. And you know what it is for me anyway? It's a tale of two kingdoms. So there's two kingdoms at work. One is definitely the kingdom of God. And we know all about that. But I think most of us have another kingdom at work, Dave. And in my life, it's the kingdom of Carrie. It's the kingdom of me. And on the days when I feel empty, I'm pretty sure the kingdom of Carrie is winning, not the kingdom of God. And what I've got to do is I've got to get on my knees. I got to surrender that to Jesus. I got to die to myself and live for Christ. And I mean, that is the heart of Jesus teaching, right? He says, he says, unless you die, <laughs> you'll never rise again. That when you die to yourself, something greater rises. That yeah. you've got to give up this life to find it. And we, we preach that stuff, but it's harder to live than it is to preach. And so what I've discovered that the antidote to emptiness is, is I've got to die to myself. And there is no end to the sad discontent of living for the kingdom of me. And yeah. I don't want to make me the focus of my life. So that's kind of a daily battle. That's a, that's a like, you know, I, I don't know that that one's going away anytime soon. Yeah. But if I can remember that that's a tale of two kingdoms, then I can live a lot more fulfilled and kind of working for the right kingdom. Yeah. Now, Kerry, um, one of the things I love about the book, one of the things I love about uh, your podcast, one of the things I love about your social media and your blog posts is you've got that line of transparency. Just you're right on that line and you do such a fantastic job with authenticity. And I know uh, just a couple of days before your book came out, a 30-year-old lead pastor uh, committed suicide um, after battling with some anxiety and depression. And while it was obviously too late to get into the book, I know you wrote some blog posts about that and you seem to be inspired by that story to come forward with your own battle with uh, suicidal thoughts. Would you mind uh, taking us through some of that time and what, what are the conditions that you believe led to that environment in your life? Yeah, I appreciate you asking the question and I can't tell you how hard it is still to talk about it because it seems really distant now, but it was so real. Yeah. at the time. So that was in my summer of burnout, which for me was the summer of 2006. And I got up every single day, you know, you hear about depressed people who just can't even get out of bed or brush their teeth or whatever. And, and that happens, but that wasn't my story. But the pain was so intense. I was working through a lot of personal issues at the time, Dave. Performance yeah. addiction was one of them. And it wasn't like an athlete, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got it do the marathon in two hours or whatever. It was more like this, this bottomless pit of um, performance. Like how good was that sermon? Was it fantastic? Was it the best ever preached? So I'm working through that stuff. I'm working through, you know, just, just some demons with a counselor and with my wife. And, and again, nothing, nothing headline worthy, but just painful. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember the pain was so deep that I just thought that the only way out was out. And I really believed for a season that God was done with me. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I knew he wasn't like, I knew in my bones, if you push me up against the wall and like, is God done with you? I'd be like, no, he's not, but I couldn't feel him anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I got into this place, this really dark place where I just thought the only way out is out that I can't get through this. And so I had this stupid plan in my head because I don't own weapons. I'm Canadian. You know how that goes. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to use it if I did. And Mm-hmm. And so it was just, I was going to drive my car really fast into a concrete bridge, you know, that would be it. And I never, I never came close to doing it, but the thought was with me constantly mm-hmm. and it was, it was terrifying. And I was driving home one day to my house, pulled off the highway onto the side road where we lived at the time. And I remember as I pulled off the highway, I just had this moment of exceptional clarity. I think it was divine intervention. And I realized, like, it's like all of a sudden, you know, I came to my senses. And and I realized that there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. That this is all in my head. That I've got a wife who still loves me. Um, boys that we were raising who adore me. Um, an elder board that's standing behind me. A church that loves me. Friends. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all in your head, Carrie. And of course, that's mental illness, right? It's all in your head. But it seems so real. And that was the beginning of the the turnaround. And there were some other demons. There were some things. But, you know, and part of what's under that, and I didn't put this in the book because I just hated writing about it. Yeah, and that's what I said when, when Andrew killed himself. Like, I think I managed five paragraphs on the suicide thing because I just, I didn't even want to talk about it. But, but self-pity is horrible that way. And, and self-pity is confession without forgiveness. That's what self-pity. Wow. Self-pity is, it really is this bad, but there's no hope. And yeah. so I think I had to process forgiveness, self-forgiveness, and, you know, I get frustrated some days. I get upset some days. Those, those sides are gone. Uh, those, those thoughts are gone. But it's hard. It's just mm-hmm. hard. So if someone, if someone is struggling with that right now who's listening and you're saying you're reading my mail, don't give up. I, I had no idea what was on the other side. And I'm firmly convinced the enemy is at work. He was in my life. And Tony was having a hard time too that summer of 2006. And you know what's so fascinating is I think Satan attacks. And I really believe that there is, you know, if there's a power for good, there's a power for evil. I, I'm, you don't have to convince me of that. I'm convinced. And it's personal. And it's mean. But... Uh, we had no idea what the next decade would bring for us. Like, I didn't know I would write four books. I didn't know that millions of people would show up in the blog and the podcast or that I'd be speaking all over the world. Like, I had no idea. I was the pastor of a local church, great church, growing church. But like, I had, I had no idea that all this was ahead. But you know what? The enemy knew. And my wife's working on a book right now on keeping couples together. She's got the first manuscript finished and that'll come out in a year or so. Like, you know, we're moving into new seasons of our life where we're pretty active in the kingdom of God, but there was a kingdom of darkness that wanted to take us out. And I really believe you are most tempted to quit moments before your critical breakthrough. But look, I was talking to Craig Rochelle about this yesterday in, in our interview um, he had somebody say something to him, uh, a mentor, and, and the person said exactly the same thing, not the same person, but a different person said exactly the same thing to me when I was in seminary. And it went like this, Carrie, Craig, God is going to break you. 
And God broke Craig. I'll let him tell his story, but he broke me in my time of, um, of depression. And what had to go were all the things that were not from God. And you know what? The, the, the full thing that the mentor said to me was, Kerry, God is going to use you, but before he uses you, he's going to break you. Mm-hmm. And he did that. So if he's breaking you, uh, that's okay. Uh, just don't let the breaking break you. Yeah. Kerry, first, thank you so much for your openness, your willingness to share what is obviously a difficult time. I am positive that your words are encouraging some of our listeners right now who are in that dark place. And so specifically, I, I would love, you, you kind of started to touch on it, but is there anything that you would specifically like to say to somebody who's listening to your story, who's listening to this podcast right now, who finds themselves in a place that is dark, that, that finds themselves in a place of anxiety and, and depression? What would, you, what would you say to them right now if they're listening? Isolation will kill you, so you need to tell somebody. You know, that's what the enemy does. He isolates us. He picks us off. So I want you to not even finish listening to this podcast. And I want you to call your wife, call your husband, call your best friend, call a doctor, call the suicide prevention hotline. If you're at that point, or you just, even if you're struggling with depression or burnout, you just need to tell somebody. I preached on this at, a, at our church a couple of years ago, or a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago. And talked about burnout. I didn't spend a lot of time on the suicide thing, but like uh, we had our prayer teams up at the end of the service and people just came forward like streaming with tears. And I outlined the 11 signs of burnout that I talk about in the book, in the message. And people just started coming up to me and going, I'm 11 for 11. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of guys over at my house last week just who'd come forward. And you know, it's hard for guys to talk about that, particularly these are both business owners and they're like, that's what it is. So we just threw some steaks on the big green egg and sat around and talked about it. But you know what, even tracking with those guys over the last week, getting it out in the open and realizing you're not alone and realizing your hope. Your, your, yeah. your hope destigmatizes it. And it mm-hmm. also gives you the feeling that, oh, I'm doing something about this because otherwise you're just going to ruminate and ruminate and ruminate and it does not get better on its own. So my counsel is tell somebody. Yeah. Kerry, there are also people who are listening to this podcast who maybe aren't in that place. What, what advice would you have for them? I mean, you know, the title of the book <laughs> didn't see it coming. They can't see it coming now, but what would your advice for them be? You know, I would start with questions. It's always tempting, if particularly if you like a book. And we've had this question. We sold a lot of copies and people are like, I just want to give my husband this book or whatever. And, you know, I never like it when someone gives me just a book and says, here, you need to read this. Mm-hmm. There's something about me as a guy that just feels defensive over that. I would start with questions. And here's a really good question. How are you? Really? Yeah. And just sit down and listen. Mm. and like look into their eyes and, and maybe share something about a tough season that you were in. Uh, most people, we ask that question a million times a day, but nobody listens and nobody really cares. So I would just start with how are you? And then if they're vulnerable enough, like, you know, whether they're wrestling with pride or burnout or emptiness or depression or suicide or cynicism or whatever, as they open up and they say, you know what, gosh, I just, I used to be so much more positive and optimistic then you get into a dialogue and then you can tell them your story 
And then maybe at the end, it's like, you know, I read this book or I listened to this podcast and it was really helpful to me. Would you be open to, or hey, should we go talk to a doctor about this or should we go talk to a counselor about this? You know, I, I, think, I think questions are a good gateway to conversation. Yeah, that's great, Kerry. Thank you so much again. Hey, um, just before we, we close out, I would love to know, uh, we're going to leave some information about where people can get the book in the show notes, but could you just tell us where they can get a copy of your new book? Sure. Well, everyone can spell my name, I know. So we created a website where that wasn't necessary. You can go to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Just didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Or if it's easier, leadlikeneverbefore.com. You'll see a little tab for Didn't See It Coming. It's available anywhere books are sold. Great. Kerry, uh, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, I'm actually feeling very, normally, you know, I would I would uh, plug the book a little bit more and I would thank you for your time. But I actually feel that I, I've never done this before on the podcast, but I feel like I need to pray. Um, would you mind joining me? You know, I yeah. have the same prompting. Okay. So I'm going to pray and then I would ask you to close us out in prayer if that's okay. Absolutely, Dave. God, just first of all, I want to thank you so much for the work that you've done in Kerry's life and the insight that you have given him, given him that he's able to pass on to all of us who are listening to his words now. God, I thank you that he is being an example of you and we can see you at work in his story. And Father, I especially want to pray right now for the people who are listening to this podcast who are facing that dark time, who are, who are facing that storm. God, I want to I want to ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would remind them that Jesus had the power to calm storms, that he had the power to cease a storm. And Father, I pray that you would help them to see right now that you are uh, tracking with them, that they are not alone, that you have the ability and the desire to calm the storms in their life. And Father, I pray that they would Stop and pause long enough to take their eyes off the storm that's brewing and to see Jesus standing in their boat. God, would you help them to read that story with new awareness even uh, today? God, would you direct their attention towards that? And would you bring a sense and a spirit of peace over them? Lord, I just want to pray uh, for every leader, every volunteer listening to this podcast. And in particular, Lord, my mind and my heart are drawn to children and, yeah, children's ministry workers. I want to pray in particular for women and men who are just exhausted, who are feeling crushed by the burden of just the the grind of week after week, who, who find it hard to be home for dinner. There's so much work to tuck their kids into bed at night. They're just exhausted. And Father, will you just let them know that you understand? Would you let them know that you care? Would you let them know that you have been there, that you were overwhelmed by the crowds, that you, Jesus, were tired from the journey, and that there's hope and there's help? Father, I pray for student ministry leaders who are just struggling. They don't feel like they're performing. They don't feel like they're measuring up. Nothing's growing the way it should be growing. And they're tired and they're understaffed and under-resourced. And God, I just ask that you'd come alongside them. You know who they are. And will you touch them with the Spirit of God? Would you let them know that they that this isn't the end of the story? It's the beginning or the middle, but it's not the end. And uh, Father, I pray for senior leaders listening who are just so tired and they, they have been juggling so much for so long, and their joy for you has dissipated. 
Uh, they feel like they're just in a grind day after day. And God, I just ask for a touch from you. And I pray, Lord, <laughs> the best place to find resurrection is in a graveyard. So will you go into the parts of our lives that, uh, that are dying or dead? And would you breathe what only you can breathe into them and into us? And Father, I just thank you for those who serve you, who serve the church, who serve families, who serve the community. And I pray that you would strengthen us for the journey, that you would breathe life into us, and that you would do what only you can do. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Kerry, you are a fantastic human being. You are an incredible pastor, and you are a good man. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom with all of us today. Dave, thank you so thank you so much for the prayer prompting. I don't know that mm. that, uh, that I think that was of God. I really mm. do. And uh, so, hey, if that's you, you're not alone, friend. And uh, there is hope. So you just hang on to that, okay? And go have a conversation with an actual human being today about how you're doing. Um, God uses people to accomplish His purpose. So remember that. Amen. Dave, that was an incredible interview. Like mm. I'm, it's not often that I feel like I have a loss for words, mm. but listening to that right now, sitting here, I'm trying to find words yeah. because I'm feeling a lot of things, Yeah, but you know, it's amazing how the process of emptying yourself in ministry mm. can be so fulfilling and so lonely at the same time. Totally. Like the contrast is what in some ways makes you feel crazy. Yeah. And I love the title of Carrie's book. I didn't see it coming because that's, I, I probably would guess the anthem of everybody who's listening Yeah. because you, you don't expect that. And I just think that that interview was such a gift for ministry leaders. I can't tell you how many times I wish I would have had something like that to listen to mm. encouragement like that. I admire the vulnerability of, of both of you in that interview. I feel like it's on a weekly basis. We hear about, pastors who are battling demons that run deep mm. and it feels like for too long the reality of what it feels like to be in ministry it's been too long that it's been quiet yeah i agree and i think it's hard too for ministry leaders because i think unless you've been in those positions you feel like other people don't understand mm. but there's a lot of us who are in those positions yeah. and who have walked those roads and so i guess my encouragement for anyone listening mm. would be if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. And I hope that this episode was an encouragement to you. And I would encourage you to find your coworkers, find the people that you do life with mm. and ministry with and check in on them. Like a heart to heart. Are you okay? Like, are you really okay? Mm. What's going on? Yeah. Because sometimes we're so caught up in doing that for other people that we forget to do it for each other. Ash, I completely agree. This was one of the most moving interviews that we've done. I mean, Kerry is an incredible person. I, you know, I said that on the podcast, but he, he really is. And, and I don't know if he's aware of how much he shaped my ministry experience, but mm -hmm. even um, just having him say towards the end, you know, I think it was in his prayer, you know, you might feel like you're in the middle but there is an end coming. I love that. And, you know, when he said that, I remember choking up because, you know, quite honestly, I felt like I've been in the middle of something for about a year. Um, and I felt like there was no end. And I felt like I'm too deep in to go back 
and I don't know if I want to go forward. Mm. And that was the thing that shocked me. That was the thing that I didn't see coming going into ministry was that I would ever feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that we've said this before on the podcast, you get counseling because you're breathing, not because you're broken. Mm. And I would just want to, I just want to encourage everybody who's listening to this. If you feel that you're in the middle of something, you're not broken. That's normal. You're certainly not alone, like Kerry talked about. But please speak with somebody, get some counseling, get some wisdom around you, and share some of your burdens. That's what I believe we're supposed to do as as church leaders is to carry each other's burdens. You know, the Bible talks a lot about hope, Mm -hmm. and the Hebrew word for hope is tikva. And what it is, it's this word picture, right? Mm -hmm. And the picture is um, that what that word literally means is uh, weaving together two strands of rope so that you can create a tool that makes carrying a heavy load easier. Mm. And that's what I think ministry is supposed to be like, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to weave together. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. We're supposed to come together and share what we're going through so that we can make the heavy load of ministry easier for us all to carry Mm, that's what biblical hope is when we come together to make carrying a heavy load easier and you know ash even through the course of this podcast not just this episode but the whole thing to be able to partner with you in all of this you've helped me carry heavy loads that you don't even realize because you have shared things with me uh, you know on air uh, I've shared things with you on air and I remember those things and I realize now, like having listened to that interview again, that you've helped me carry things that I otherwise might not have been able to carry. When when I think of my small group, when I think of the group of guys who I have around me, some of whom have been on this podcast like Dan and when I think of the support network I have like my wife and and you know some close friends, they're the ones who help me carry the burdens but that only happens when we're authentic that only happens when we share how hard ministry can be does that make sense it does dave and i feel the same thank you so much Mm. those words mean a lot one day we're gonna stand face to face with god and he's gonna look at us and he's gonna know everything Mm. that we've walked through every lonely season every season of burnout every moment we felt like we're not enough and he's going to say, well done. Mm. And mm. he knows, and we can hold on to that. Mm. Well, we want to thank you so much for listening to this. Um, we really hope that if you are experiencing any of the, the things that we talked about in this episode, that you would have somebody that you can go to. And if you don't reach out to us, you can reach Ashley and I on social media, Ashley Bohans and at Aussie Dave on, on all social media networks. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you're really deep into something and you don't want to share it on a public forum like social media, then I want to give you my cell phone number. And you can text me anytime and I will pray with you. 201-831-7155. 201-831-7155. I'll put that in the show notes as well because we just want to pastor you. We want to care for you. We want to let you know that you're not alone. Thanks so much for listening. Keep going. Keep going.